Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Wonderful. Uh, Delighted to kick off our new series together in the book of Acts, chapters 10 to 15. We're in uh, uh, chapter 10 and 11 today. And uh, the title is, How Inclusive is the Church? Now, as you just found out, I'm leaving the company I work for. But we recently had our, our, our first team night out and dinner as a, as a, as a team in, in the company uh, for uh, after over two years. So it was a real special time to get together. And for, for me, knowing that I was... Um, uh, going to be leaving as well. It made you know that it was a, it was a, it was a nice to be together with the team, um, and you know the food was good. Uh, my manager had taken us to a nice restaurant in Dublin. The crack was good, the drinks were flowing, and it was great to be out after COVID. Now, one of my teammates is a very good friend of mine, uh, and she's gay and married to another woman. And she's always, uh, we've always had a very positive relationship. We've known each other for years. Uh, I'm a church pastor. She knows that. She's a lesbian. I know that. It's never been an issue. And we've got on great. We've had lots of fun. It's very affectionate between the two of us. Anyway, it's around 10 p.m. And if any of you know me well, at 10 p.m. I shut down. It's my bedtime. I can't do anything past 10 o'clock. I collapse inside and uh, want to die if I'm not in bed. So at 10 p.m., uh, as the desserts are coming out, I'm struggling to have any kind of coherent thought or engagement. And my friend, uh, who I just mentioned, has gone to the toilet. And the conversation comes around as to why I'm leaving HubSpot. And I got to share about the church and our desire to start a second congregation and, and other things like that and what was really meaningful to me in life. And it was a good, a good gospel opportunity to share my motives. As you can imagine, there were lots of questions, particularly around uh, the church, because there was a good bit of drinking people, so people feel free to ask the questions. And at one point, another colleague of mine, uh, I asked her, what's your experience of church? Because she was asking me questions. And, and she paused and said, I'll be honest, Steve, it's not great. She went on to explain how her uncle was groomed and abused in the church that he was a part of. And then she said this, tell me this, Steve, if someone like my colleague, my gay friend, who identifies as she does, came to your church, would she be welcome? What a question for 10 p.m. on a Thursday night. Would my gay colleague and friend and, and her wife be welcome to Christ City Church? Now, if you want to know how I answered the question, you have to listen to the end of the talk. Clever. The issue of inclusivity is a huge topic in our society today. If you remember the same-sex marriage referendum, the slogan was, yes to equality, all people should be welcomed as equals, however they identify. Whatever your sexual orientation, your gender identity, race, color, religion, whatever pronoun you choose to use, no one should be excluded. And the charge against the Christian church, maybe now more than ever, is that we're exclusive, narrow-minded, and bigoted. How dare you call someone else a sinner? How dare you say someone else is unclean and excluded? So my colleague's question is a question we need to hear, grapple with, and know how to answer with gentleness and respect. Would person X be welcome? Where X could be anything that might deem someone to be unclean or sinful in God's eyes. Well, 2,000 years ago, well before our modern culture grappled with issues of inclusivity and equality, the early church was grappling with it. Not so much around LGBT but the wider, and the wider phenomenon of identity politics of our day, but around could Gentiles be included in the church on the same footing as the Jews? And if so, 
did the Gentiles have to become Jewish first before they became Christians? Did they have to obey the food laws and, and go through the rite of circumcision? Or do the Gentiles, are they supposed to have their own separate church for people like them? That's the question. And those are the questions at the heart of Acts chapter 10 to 15. At a more fundamental level still, the question is this. Is the gospel, the good news that Jesus rescues rebels, is the gospel for all people or only a certain type of clean people? And that leads to a whole host of other good questions. What makes someone acceptable to God? How does someone come to be included in God's church? God's people. Is Christianity, is there a, a, a culture, one culture that's more superior to another culture within the church? Big questions. Our culture today is grappling with it. The early church was grappling with it. So we're going to learn three things that are helpful for us to consider from Acts 10 and 11. You don't have the passages on your seat because there's a lot of scripture to go through. I'm going to take you through it. We're going to see three things. We're going to see an invitation to the outsider, the, the one deemed unclean, Cornelius. We're going to see a challenge to the insider, the one deemed clean, Peter. He has a vision too. And we're going to see a joining of equals, those who have been cleansed by Jesus when Peter and Cornelius meet. So let's think about the invitation to the outsider. If you want to follow along in a Bible or on a phone, it's here. But you can do so or it's on the screen. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, the centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now the gospel writer Luke writes a sequel called the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of John, same writer. And he starts by telling us in chapter 10 here of a man called Cornelius. And we learn three key things. He's stationed at Caesarea, which was a garrison city named after Augustus Caesar. And it was the administrative capital of the province of Judea. Secondly, he's a captain of the Italian regiment, which meant he was a centurion in charge of six regiments of 100 men. He's a man of authority, man of influence. Thirdly, Though he was not a Jew, we learn a number of interesting things about him. He's devout and God-fearing. He prays. He gives to the poor, which probably means, although he was a Roman, and the Romans had many gods, he'd become convinced of the Jewish idea of monotheism, that there was only one God, and had therefore started practicing Jewish piety, praying and tithing, giving 10% of your money away. And he probably attended the Jewish synagogue, but he hadn't become a Jew. He hadn't been circumcised. So he was sympathetic, but he hadn't become a convert to Judaism. So he's still an outsider. He's still excluded from the covenant of God. He's a decent, moral, respectable guy, but he's not Jewish. And God heard his prayers. Now, let me answer a question that you might be asking as you read this. Did Because Cornelius is going to become a believer in Jesus. Did Corn, Sorry, spoiler alert, yes. Uh, did God save Cornelius because of his good works? Does God save people because they try to live a good life, pray and give to the poor, they're devout, God-fearing, the things that it said about Cornelius? No. 
Let's not draw that false application from this passage, and here is why. Although he was good, he wasn't saved, because we see here as the story unfolds, he needs to hear the message of salvation of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. He must, verses 36 to 40, we're going to come to it. He must believe in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, verses 42 to 43. And he must repent to receive eternal life, chapter 11, 18. So at this stage in the story, Cornelius is good, but he's not saved. Which, by the way, makes sense, because why does he have all the visions? Why does Peter travel 32 miles to go to his home? God wants Peter to preach the gospel to him so he can be saved. And that's true for everyone. No matter how good and moral you might seem, no matter how many visions you might have had from God and visitations of angels, no matter your devoutness, God-fearingness, generosity, prayerfulness, no matter all of that, the only way of salvation is to hear the gospel of Jesus and respond with repentance and faith. And this is going to be vital for our understanding that everyone is equal in the church because we're all saved by grace and not our own merit. So there can be equality because of salvation by grace alone. Now, all that said, that was a sidebar. Let's not miss the main thrust of the, of the passage. In verses 1 to 8, we see there is an invitation, invitation to the outsider, the unclean one, to hear the message of salvation and be saved. So, question. I wonder for us at CCC who might feel unclean or unwelcome in our midst. I wonder. I already mentioned maybe those part of the LGBT community. Maybe travelers, maybe homeless people, maybe sexual offenders, maybe those struggling with gender dysphoria, maybe alcoholics, maybe drug users. People that would feel, I can't come and hear the message of salvation. Who else? Who do you think? Philip Yancey starts his very famous book, What's So Amazing About Grace, with a story from a friend, and it goes like this. A prostitute came to him in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she'd been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. I could hardly believe her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no way, no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked if she'd ever thought of going to church for help. I'll never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. Philip Yancey goes on to say, what struck me about my friend's story is that women much like this prostitute fled towards Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. Has the church lost that gift? Evidently, the down and outs, or I use the language, the unclean, we'll see in the passage, who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth, no longer feel welcomed among his followers. What has happened? It's a question. It's a challenge. We must hear in verses 1 to 8, we learn there's an invitation from God to the outsider, the one that's deemed unclean, to hear the gospel message and be welcomed into the family of God. The gospel is for all. Secondly, then, there's a challenge for the insider, the one deemed clean. Now, Peter has a vision. 
whilst Cornelius is having this extraordinary visitation from God's messenger, 32 miles away in Jerusalem, Peter is having his own amazing encounter with God. So we move from Cornelius to Peter. Let's read on. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back up to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. At this point in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter has responded boldly to the challenges of sickness and death. The question is, how is he going to respond to the challenge of racism and religious discrimination? It's hard for us to understand just how significant a challenge this is for Peter, as someone who was born and bred in a Jewish home that was built on 1,500 years of Jewish ceremonial law since the time of Moses. In the Old Testament, there are three types of laws. There's civil laws which govern the nation of Israel as a nation, what crimes should be punished, and so on and so forth. Civil laws. There were moral laws which told people God's will for their lives and was binding on their conduct, as this is what a holy God demands of us. So there were civil laws, moral laws. And then there were ceremonial laws, which were regulations about being clean or unclean. These laws encompass food, clothing, disease, washing, and other rites of ceremonial purification. These were rites of passage designed to show God's people that they were unfit for the presence of God unless made holy by these provisions. Civil, moral, and ceremonial laws. When we read about these ceremonial laws today in the Old Testament, we find them strange and archaic and maybe harsh because... 3,500 years of history have passed, and our culture is very different from theirs. However, think of these laws like a job interview. You brush your teeth, I hope. You wash, you comb your hair, you put on your best outfit. You don't want any speck or stain on you. You don't want to smell bad. The cleanliness laws were the same idea. Spiritually, morally, unless you're clean, you cannot come into the presence of a perfect and holy God. So these laws included food laws about not eating certain types of meat that was deemed unclean. And they were a visual aid that we as God's people, in the Old Testament this is, needed to be cleansed. We needed to be purified to enter the presence of a perfect holy God. So Peter and his family had always obeyed these food rules to be acceptable to be God, to, to, by God, to be ceremonial clean, to be able to enter the temple of God where God's presence dwelt. Well, I can't eat meat, or certain types anyway. 
And here Peter has a vision containing all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. It's evidently a mix of clean and unclean meats that would have been you know, calculated to disgust an Orthodox Jew. So Peter says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice says, don't call anything impure. The God is called clean. And this happens three times. You know, Jesus and Peter like to do things in threes, don't they? You know, three denials before the death, three reinstatements after the resurrection, and now three back and forth about what's clean and not clean. And yet this wasn't Peter's first time hearing this kind of teaching from Jesus. Do you remember Mark chapter 7 when speaking to his disciples about cleanliness? Jesus says, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their hearts, but into their stomachs and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from outside and defile a person. So Jesus agrees that none of us are fit for the presence of God because we're unclean. But he focuses the attention not on the outside, the food laws, but on the inside, the state of our hearts. And in both Mark 7 and Acts 10, Jesus therefore declares all food clean, which means the Gentiles do not have to become Jews to become Christians. They don't have to start obeying Jewish food laws. Acceptance before God, inclusion in God's church, access to God's presence does not come from external rules and regulations. Being made clean is nothing to do with what happens externally. It's also what's happening internally to you. So how does Peter respond to the challenge to welcome the outsider with flying colors? In verses 23 to 33, we read that he travels to Cornelius's house, which is maybe taking nine or ten hours. They meet Cornelius. Cornelius tries to worship Peter. Peter tells him to stop and, and tells him to stand up. Peter clarifies that Jews and Gentiles shouldn't you know, visit one another's home typically, but that God has called him to. Cornelius explains his vision and that God had told him to call Peter to his house. Let's pick up the story in verses 24 to 28, and the joining of equals, those cleansed by Jesus. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize that it is true that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, and on Peter goes. So Peter confirms that the Gentile Cornelius does not need to become a Jew to be acceptable to God. Why? Because the message that was sent to Israel, the good news that Jesus rescues rebels, was the same good news for all. Peace comes with God through Christ, no matter who you are. And if you read on, I've stopped the passage, we're going to read about how Jesus was anointed at his baptism, that Jesus' life was full of goodness, healing, and exorcisms, that he died on a cross, verse 39, that he was raised on the third day, verse 40, that witnesses met him after his resurrection, verse 41, that the witnesses confirmed that this was what the Old Testament said would happen, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, verses 42 to 43, and this forgiveness means escape from judgment. 
before the holy God when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. This was Peter's gospel message. And as Peter starts preaching, something remarkable happens. The Holy Spirit comes on them all, verse 44. And there's a second Pentecost experience. The Jews has had their moment of being filled in Acts chapter 2. And now the Spirit comes dramatically on the Gentiles. And they are filled and they start speaking in different languages. Which affirm their inclusion in God's church. And affirm that they've received the same gift of the Spirit as the Jews had. And then they were baptized in water. Since they'd been baptized by the Spirit, that God had done that, Peter says, well, we need to sort of get on and baptize them in water too. And what did Peter say many years later about baptism in his letter to a church? Baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, not external, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How is someone made clean on the inside? How are they forgiven of their sin? How are they made right with God? How do they move from being a defiled person to being a clean person with a clear conscience, nothing external, but removal of the internal sin through the death and resurrection of Christ, which baptism symbolizes? So Cornelius moves from being a sincere, religious, lost man to being a repentant, believing, saved man as he hears the gospel, receives the Spirit, and is baptized. And most importantly for Luke's agenda as he writes this part of the book of Acts, baptism signifies that Cornelius was an equal member with Peter in God's global church. It's only a passing comment, but if you read right at the end of the passage, it says we learn that Peter stayed with him for a few days which had been the issue to start with. Could a Jew hang out and eat with a Gentile? And there's warmth and affection in that phrase of staying in his home. So now a joining of equals through the cleansing of Jesus. In chapter 11, we haven't got time to go over it, the whole thing is retold because the, Jew, the Jerusalem church is outraged that Peter was eating with a, with a Gentile and what's, what's been going on with this Cornelius fellow, etc., etc. And Peter then takes them through the story and they start off skeptical and they end up going on the same journey of understanding that God has included the Gentiles in the church. And Luke finishes the whole episode by saying this, when they heard this, the, the people back in Jerusalem, uh, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even Uh, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What's the message of this whole wonderful, marvelous, fascinating story? It's the gospel. The good news that Jesus rescues rebels is for all. And that the Gentiles are included on an equal footing with the Jews in Jesus' church. This is a breakthrough moment for the early church. That's why we're given two accounts of the story, chapter 10 and chapter 11. Some people call it Cornelius' conversion. It really should be called Peter's conversion as he comes to understand that he must welcome the outsider. So, applications for us today. Well, the first one is this. Everyone is welcome to come and hear the message of salvation, to repent Believe, be baptized, and be an equal member of God's global church and this local expression of God's church. Everyone, the gospel is for all. And therefore, we should not put up any personal or cultural barriers or prejudices that might stop anyone 
from hearing the message of salvation. We must adapt and bend towards people culturally. We become all things to all men, Paul said, so they might hear and be saved, not have them adapt towards our culture and our preferences. Everyone is welcome to hear the message and believe. Secondly, racism or discrimination in any form cannot be tolerated within God's people. Three reasons. It offends God. It degrades someone made in the image of God. And from today's passage, it undermines the very gospel of grace that we so proudly proclaim. Let's not assume we don't struggle with this. Peter, sadly, years later, would stop eating with Gentiles again because of peer pressure. And Paul, in, in um, Galatians 2, would have to confront him and say, no, you're undermining the gospel that we're saved by grace if you keep separating from Gentiles. And what does Paul say? The only way to be justified, to be made right with God, is not through works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus who died for our sins. So discrimination in the church undermines the great gospel of justification by faith that says we're all equally sinful and we're all made equally right through faith in Christ. And a little sub-application. No one culture, therefore, in the church is greater than any other culture. Irish is not greater than English, is not greater than Brazilian, is not greater than Nigerian, is not greater than Polish, is not greater than American. There is no superior culture within the church. Every culture is a mix of good and bad. We celebrate the good. And in the church, we can start to see the blind spots of our own culture as we rub up against other people and their culture. And we can celebrate together what we learn. Thirdly, beware of the insider syndrome. It's very easy for those of us that have been around a bit longer or maybe have official roles in the church. We just talked about leadership roles and changes, for example to feel and act like we're superior, or to be seen or give the impression that we are. You know, our church is just over seven years old. If you've been part of the church for a long time, in, in terms of that length of time, if you have an official role, or maybe you've sacrificed lots, or maybe you've served lots, or maybe you've... God sees, God honors, but it doesn't make you more significant or worthy than anyone else in the church. And it doesn't mean your voice should be heard above others. Peter was one of the first disciples. Peter was the leader of the first church. And yet, in Christ, he's no greater than Cornelius, a brand new Gentile convert. Let's beware of the tendency in the human heart to go, I've earned a special place here because I've given a bit more, I've sacrificed a bit more, I've been here a bit longer. Tenure and role in church life do not make you any greater than anyone else. Let's hear the challenge as those that have been here a bit longer to be those that welcome the outsider on an equal footing to hear the message, believe, be baptized, and be included in the family. And on that note, I mean, it is wonderful every Sunday. Every Sunday at Christ City Church, there's 10, 15 plus nationalities. It's a little taste of the heavenly city. It's an outworking of this amazing moment in Acts chapter 10 and 11 when we hear different voices and we see different kinds of faces and we rub into different kinds of cultures and we say we are all one and united in, Je it is, it, in Jesus. It is marvelous. There is not a community like this on earth apart from the church. 
that can unite all people. We should celebrate and we should look forward to the day when every tribe, every tongue, every language will give praise to the Lamb on the throne. And we get a little foretaste and it should, it should delight our hearts every Sunday that we get to participate in this wonderful community of Jesus. Fifthly, are you a Peter or Cornelius in this story? Not just in terms of being the insider and the outsider, that that's the thrust, but in one sense, in your standing with the gospel, the good news that Jesus rescues rebels. Are you a Cornelius? You're a good person. You're a moral person. You might pray now and again. You might give money to charity, maybe to Ukraine and the cause there. But you're not saved because you haven't repented and believed the good news and put your trust in Jesus. Receive the forgiveness of sins and you haven't received eternal life. If that's you, why are you here? Why did God bring you today? Why did God take Peter to Cornelius? So you might hear this message and be given an opportunity to receive the best news ever, the wonder of forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and be included in a family that's never going to end. And we'll all see each other in heaven. Today, believe, repent, be baptized. Come speak to me at the end if you'd like to think about responding to that message. Are you a Cornelius here today? Or maybe you're a Peter. And you're thinking, would God use me to present the gospel to someone else who needs to hear it? Maybe a God-fearer in Dublin? Notice how God is orchestrating things in the background so Peter and Cornelius, they meet and they're ready for one another. God's doing the same in your life, but you might need to open your eyes. Who's in the workplace? Who's in college? Who do you play video games with online? Who do you have a Zoom call with now and again? Who's in your family? And you go, I hadn't even thought like that because I'm just so busy with my work or my social. Oh, is this someone that God's put me alongside that I just need to pray for that door to be opened? Be open. Be a, be a Peter. Be ready. Be obedient to see what God is doing. He's working in the backgrounds. Let's be aware of that. So, application six. You've listened well from my story at the start. Just how inclusive is the church? 10 p.m. Thursday night, the question is posed to me by another colleague. If someone like my colleague who identifies as she does in a gay marriage came to your church, would she be welcome? What did I say? I said, of course, she'd be welcome. Of course, she'd be welcome. We've had lots of people come through our church of all different types, different, all kinds of orientations and everything in between, and they've always been welcome. We want to treat them with love, dignity, and respect, because they bear the image of God, just as we do. And we want to give them the opportunity to hear the message of salvation and come to Jesus, to know him as Lord and Savior. Of course, she is welcome. The conversation moved on, and that was fine. Now, does that mean I think God blesses same-sex marriages? No. Scripture is clear. Genesis to Revelation, Old and New Testament, the start of creation and the teaching of Jesus, Christian marriages for a man and a woman, and all sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin and deserves God's judgment according to the scriptures. There's no wiggle room on that if you believe what the Bible says. The Bible is clear. God has spoken and God has been clear. 
I appreciate this isn't a PC message. I appreciate that it gives personal and pastoral challenges to certain people. And I walked with many over the years. And I'd love to chat with anyone who finds that hard to hear. But just because that's my view, that doesn't mean I fear or despise or feel awkward or detest or hate or anything else. Someone who holds a different view to me on whether God blesses same-sex marriage. I can still be warm and friendly to my gay colleague who's in a gay marriage. Of course. And I trust if she was here, she would testify about how warm and affectionate our relationship has been. And I enjoy her company and I enjoyed meeting her wife. Does that th- also, does that mean I'm any less of a sexual sinner than her? No. Jesus, in a number of places, including Mark 7, which I just read, said the real issue of sin is not external, but internal of the heart. That's where adultery, sexual morality, lust, and a whole host of other evils come from. We are all defiled. I'm just as much a sexual sinner as anyone else. I am just as much in need of Jesus' cleansing as anyone else. That's what Peter, in a different context, was getting to grips with in Acts chapters 10 and 11. What made him acceptable to God were not his Jewish ceremonial laws, but that Jesus died for his sin as just as much as Jesus died for Cornelius' sin. The gospel message isn't we're good and those people out there are bad. The gospel message is we're all bad. We're all evil. We're all sinful. We're all defiled. And the only way to be cleansed is through putting your trust in Jesus, not on your works, but in your faith in what he has done. So does that mean that when I disagree with someone, I judge them or hate them or feel scared with them? No. So disagree with someone doesn't mean you think you're superior. As I've said, if we understand this message of salvation by grace, there is no superiority. We're all equal. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, who had five husbands and the man she was living with was not her husband, or when he spoke to the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, he treated them with dignity, he covered their shame, he protected them, he loved them, he forgave them, and he told them to leave their lives of sin and be set free by his love. Did Jesus accept them? Yes. But that acceptance called them to obedience. He loved them just as they are, as they were, but he loved them so much not to leave them as they were. He wanted to show them the fullness of life that can only be found in him and not in any identity around your sexuality or gender, whether heterosexual, gay, or something else. The offer of forgiveness and cleansing is available to all. That is what Acts chapter 10 and 11 is all about. It's through faith and repentance, turning to Jesus and turning away from the things that Jesus wants you to turn away from. That means Jesus is your savior. He cleanses you and your Lord, he leads you. And you must walk in the ways that he wants you to walk. That might take time. That might be really confusing and painful for months, years. You might slip up, you might disagree, you might change your mind. We don't have to have it all sorted immediately. But we need to know that Jesus is not only savior, he cleanses. He's also Lord and we must respond with repentance and his call to obedience. And just a little note, if you really want to talk about inclusion and what it is to be an inclusive society, we really need to know what's going on right now in our culture. All this talk of being inclusive is really covert exclusivism. Because if I now would disagree with anyone's position on any of these issues, I am excluded. 
So everyone's always excluding someone. If I take a different position on sexuality and gender as a majority culture, I'm now demonized and told I'm a narrow-minded bigot. So everyone is included as long as you go along with us. Everyone's always excluding. So our society is not really that inclusive. We've just changed the definition of who is deemed worthy of being included. But the gospel is for all because... It says we're all equally sinful and unclean, so there can be no superiority or judgment of others. We're all equally needing of saving. The one who died for us, the one who saved us died for us when we were his enemies. So we must go and do likewise to those that treat us as enemies. And the one who died for us now calls us to follow him into fullness of life. And so we must honor that call by obeying his will for our lives trusting his wisdom in all the areas that we find particularly hard or confusing, Peter couldn't get what Jesus was calling him to. Three times Jesus had to say, no, no, Peter, this is not how it is. Peter, it may take a while, but we have to trust the wisdom of God when our personal desires or our culture says different. We say, well, Lord, if you keep saying this, if your word says it, I can grapple. I've got to come in line if you are my Lord. The gospel is for all, and this is what it means for us to be a church for all. May God help us. We need courage and wisdom. We need the spirit. We need one another. We need deep humility and repentance when we get it wrong. But God will help us. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing to finish. Take a moment to consider what is stirring in your heart now. And allow God's spirit to come and bring a, a comfort and a peace or a challenge and a, an exhortation to that heart of yours. So just take a moment. What is in your heart now as you've heard this message and how does God through his spirit want to help you? Heavenly Father, we thank you that the gospel is for all, for all people, for all types of people. No one is excluded. There's no one culture that's superior. We pray, Lord, forgive us when we as the church have got this really wrong, made an absolute mess of it. We have not honored you and we have not loved people. And we say sorry, Lord, when we've really messed this up, when we've come across as judgmental and superior, when we've acted without knowledge and we've not treated people as people. And we say sorry, Lord, when we've messed this up. We pray for your help in getting this right, that our church really would be a welcoming, inclusive community where everyone is welcome to know and love Jesus, to receive his forgiveness, to accept him as Savior and Lord, and to receive eternal life that is found in his name. Make us a church where all nationalities, all cultures, all races, and all different types of people can come and belong and explore Lord, give us patience when we wish things would be more clean cut at times or when we wish things weren't as you've said or when we personally find things harder. Give us patience to accept your leading in our lives individually and together. And Lord, as we think about the book of Acts in general in this moment, we think of the gospel going forward. We think of the message of salvation being proclaimed. We think of people that were once outside coming inside and coming home to you. And we just pray for similar things in our day that your gospel will be powerful, that you do it in us 
and you do it in many of our friends and family and, and our neighbors and those we love in and, and outside of this city, that you would uh, bring many to hear this message and receive Jesus. We pray that in his name and for his glory. Amen.